Okay, let's pray. Father, tonight we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, God, that You mean what You say. You say what You mean. We thank You, Lord, that You give us minds tonight to understand what You're saying to us. I pray for a spirit of revelation and understanding as we look at Your Word this evening. Father, I give You praise and I give You thanks. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Did you know that the Bible promises victory to everybody who believes? Did you know that? Well, let me just read you a verse of Scripture. How about that? 1 John 5, 4. It says, for, it should say, it says whatsoever in the King James, but it should say, For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. When we get sold out on what God has said... That brings the victory that overcomes the system of the age. Now, we, we may go through trials, we may go through hard things, but we still overcome the world. We're equipped to overcome the curse of the world if we're believers. The fact that we're born again qualifies us for the promise of overcoming. Now, that's pretty good news, I think. We're qualified to overcome, though. Now, just think about the word overcome. What does that mean? It means you've got to engage in some sort of a contest. In order to be a conqueror, in order to be an overcomer, that means you've got to engage in some sort of a fight. So we overcome the world not by sitting in a rocking chair, but by engaging in a fight of faith. Now we may do that in a rocking chair, I don't know. But to fail to engage in the fight is to accept defeat. I mean, to, to, to do that, to engage by faith in the Word is to win if we don't quit. I think that's good news. Too many Christians think this, and we've been taught it, so you know, I understand why we think it, but we think, well, the Scripture says the battle is the Lord's, and so that means I can stay home in my pajamas and do nothing. The, if the battle is the Lord, why do I have to do anything? Well, let me just read you the passage that that, that verse of Scripture is in. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, Jehoshaphat is surrounded by all these armies of people. And then they're praying, and then the prophet speaks. And he, and he said, Hearken ye, all ye Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid. Now notice he says it several, a couple of times, Be not afraid. Be not afraid, nor dismayed, dismayed by the reason of the great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz. Ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Now, the battle is the Lord's, but he still told them to go down against them. He still told them to suit up and go out there. Now, the thought is, well, if we go down there, if we suit up and go down there, they might want to fight with us, which is really what they wanted to do. But they had to take action. Here's what I know about faith. Faith always has accompanying action. Always. The scripture says faith without works is dead. 
The Bible says they had to set themselves. In other words, they had to put themselves in a station or to, to put themselves in a place prepared for battle. And then they had to stand still. In this particular battle, they sent the praise team out and they saw God win the battle as the praise team began to praise. What we know about faith is it always requires action. There's always an action that will accompany our faith. The battle is the Lord's, but he always needs a cooperating people to work through. Always needs that. So sometimes we think, well, we don't have to do anything because we just live in grace. Well, grace is God's favor that enables you to engage and accomplish the will of God in your life, and God works through you as you operate with him. The scripture says the Holy Spirit works with us doesn't work instead of us. He works with us. So we've been talking about fighting a spiritual battle, fighting in the spirit. So I'm going to go to the text we read last week or last time. And, and let's just look at a couple of verses here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 6. The Bible says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Now, all that sounds wonderful except that last part about be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. All right, all of it sounds pretty good except for that. If we could just left that out, it would have been good. And the Holy Spirit, if he would have just let me tell him how to write it, that's what he would have done. He didn't let me do that. He wrote it himself. So we've been talking about spiritual warfare. We've talked about how we fight a fight of faith. We fight in a spirit realm. But that means there are enemies out there that want to take us out. And so we have to learn how to fight by faith. We have a spiritual battle to fight for our city. We have a spiritual battle to fight for our nation, for our children, for our grandchildren. We have a fight to fight. And there's no reason any one of us could ever say, well, you know what? We fought our, our part, so we're done. No, the Apostle Paul said, when, the only time he was finished was when he said, I'm getting ready to depart. And that's when the fight was over. We never quit exercising and living by faith because the just shall live by faith. If we fail to fight, as I said, we become prisoners of war. People who don't fight this fight, they just become prisoners. Many people are prisoners of war, and since that's all they've known, they don't even know they're prisoners of war. They've never fought a fight of faith, and they've never been taught to fight a fight of faith. When times get tough, since they don't know the difference, they fail to fight with the word, and they succumb to the results of the curse. They get what the world gets because they've never been taught. It's interesting to me, we work hard, 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 and we should, to get people born again. And we need to do that. We need to do everything we can to get them born again. But then we get them born again and we say, okay, bless you. You want to teach Sunday school? <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're saved. Could you be on our greeting team? Yeah. And what we need to do is we need to teach them how to live by faith. We need to teach them and get their minds renewed. What happens is people get born again, but they don't get their mind renewed. And as born again people, they still think the thoughts of lost people. They still act. You, listen, if you think like a lost person, you're going to act like a lost person. And now they're under even more condemnation than they were because they know that as a saved person, they shouldn't be acting like that. But they don't even know how to get out of it. 
because they've never been taught how to fight a fight in the Spirit or how to even think in the Spirit. So as we began to study this a few weeks ago, we looked at a verse in each chapter of each, a verse each chapter of Second Timothy, and there are only four of them. And in every chapter, we saw verses about fighting a spiritual fight. This book is about fighting a spiritual fight. I mean, we, we found that things have changed for Timothy since First Timothy. First Timothy, he writes Paul a letter. Paul writes him back and tells him how to how to organize and govern this massively growing church. Okay, the church at Ephesus was the biggest church in the world. And so Paul writes him back and tells him how to put in elders and, and do all those things. In 2 Timothy, Paul's writing him a whole different letter back because he's got different problems. The problems he has in 2 Timothy is that the leaders and the people are leaving and becoming traitors against him because of persecution against the church. We saw that evil Nero made Christians out to be the enemies of the state. I mean... Uh, we saw this the, the evolution of this God called Roma and emperor worship and belief that the emperor was the embodiment of, of Roma and he needed to be worshipped because he was the source of Rome's greatness. We saw last week if we're going to fight a fight of faith in the spirit, we've got to obtain God's mercy. We've got to remember the victories. We've got to remember the call we've been called to. And, and we've got to remember God's goodness that we've experienced in the past. So whoever we are, we've got to know how to fight in the spirit. You realize the devil isn't going to be overcome by our emotions. You can get mad all you want to, but unless you fight in the spirit, you, can, you don't win. He's not afraid of your emotions. He's not afraid of you getting angry. We just need to fight in the spirit. There may be times when it seems like there's no fighting that's necessary, and that's true. Remember, the devil came against Jesus and tempted him, and Jesus, you know, rebuked him with the word. And it says the devil left him for a season, not for his whole life. He came back, and he came back, and he came back. So let's look at this for just a moment. Well, for more than just a moment. Verse 6 says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Along with remembering the things that God has done for us in the past, we've got to remember to stir up the gift of God that's in us. Stir it up. The Amplified Bible says it this way. That's why I would remind you to stir up, rekindle the embers of, fan the flame of, and keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that's in you by means of the laying on of my hands with those of the elders at your ordination. He said you need to stir up God's gift. The little phrase stir up, it literally means to fire up the life inside fire up what's inside. It means to fan into white hot flame the living passion given to you by God. In other words, when times get tough, sometimes we forget to focus on the gift and we focus on the problem. Isn't that right? And it's tough to remember to focus on God's gift. Paul's saying this. He, he, he's saying times may be tough, but this is not the time for you to cut and run because that's what Timothy's thinking. It's time to stir yourself up for a fight. Instead of laying down and getting frustrated and saying there's no hope, it's time to stir yourself up for this fight. I mean, this is something that we do. Notice he didn't say, just sit on the couch and God will stir up the gift in you. He didn't say, go to church on Sunday morning and the preacher will stir up the gift in you. He said, no, you stir up the gift of God in you. You fan this gift into white hot flame. You do that. See, most of us are wanting somebody else to stir us up. 
If that can't happen, you can get stirred up with the sermon, get stirred up with the song. But you've got to understand the difference between the soul and the spirit. And what he's talking about here, if I'm going to fight and stay in the fight, I've got to stir up the gift in me. I get to do that. David encountered that. Remember the story of David when, when, when he went to fight with the Philistines, which was a dumb idea, I always thought. And he's there, and the Philistines said, no, we don't want him fighting with us. And the king said, you can't fight with us. Take you guys and go home. So they went back to Ziklag. When they got back to Ziklag, the Amalekites had come through, had kidnapped all their wives and all their children, burned their town. And I mean, everybody started crying. The Bible says they cried until they couldn't cry anymore. And then they began to blame David. And I think it was probably his fault because he took them. And they said, maybe we ought to kill David. Well, now David got serious with God. And the, and the, the Bible tells us that he, he asked, he asked for, for, for the priest or, or for, for a, a, a religious guy. And then he said, he said, it says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Encouraged himself in the Lord. We need to learn the art of stirring ourselves. God provides the flame. We just got to stir it up. We have to stir it. We have to make it come, come, come to heat. Then he says this, interesting. He said, you stir yourself up, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. I like the way the Amplified says it. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craven and cringing and fawning fear. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a calm, well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. Now, that's what God's given us. God didn't give us the spirit of fear. He didn't give that to us. Didn't give us a spirit of timidity. Bad things are going on in Timothy's church. People are deserting. They're giving up on him. They're giving up on God. They're even reporting Timothy and the other leaders to the Roman authorities because they're afraid. And they're, 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 they're turning on him. I mean, but Timothy's problem isn't that his feelings are hurt, according to what Paul said here. Many of, the, of, of, of these people that are turning on him are leaders. His problem isn't exactly rejection or the fact that the elders and the deacons had deserted him. They're manifestations of a very deeper, much deeper problem. His problem is fear. Fear. Fear is one of the biggest problems in the church. It's the reason Christians aren't bold and strong. It's fear. The word for fear here is delia, which means timidity. It, it's a word that conveys the idea of cowardice. Most of the time we see the word fear, we think, we think of the word Greek word phobos, which we get phobia from, which means to be alarmed or to be put in fear or frightened. This has to do with a deep-seated, long-term fear operating on the inside, which makes one turn into a coward. Timothy, I mean... He, he wasn't so much afraid of dying, even though I'm thinking if you're going to die as a martyr, that could bring some kind of fear to you. Not if it's the gift God gives you. He wasn't afraid so much of financial loss. I mean, that wasn't what causes fear. His fear is this. He's afraid that if he reaches out to make new associates, make new deacons, new pastors, new staff, that they're going to do the same thing to him. And Paul's trying to assure him he's afraid of being rejected. All right? Christians, in studies I've read over the years, Christians have lots of fears. In fact, Christians have many of the same fears the world have. Here, here, here's a list of, of, of fears that Christians have that, I, that I've studied over the years. Divorce is a fear. Cancer is a fear. Christians are afraid of AIDS. They're afraid of suicide, insanity. Christians are afraid of heights. They're afraid of murder, robbers. 
One of the biggest fears today by Christians is an attack by terrorists. The biggest one is financial failure. Or demons is a fear of Christians. Preachers have a whole different set of fears. If you're a preacher, if you've ever been a pastor, here's, here, here's how that works. Pastors are afraid of rejection more than anything. I mean, for people to come and, and say, you, you, you've probably heard this. Pastors, they come to you and they say, you are the greatest preacher I've ever heard. And then two weeks later, they're talking bad about you and leaving the church. <laughs> and so whenever somebody ever has said that to me in my life, I'm like, thanks, but I'm not swallowing it. You know, the, that flattery is kind of like chewing gum. You can chew on it, but just never swallow it. <laughs> Preachers are afraid of a lack of finances to do the job called them, that God's called them to do. They have a fear of trusting people. They have a fear of, 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 of uh, uh, being left behind and, and even a fear of success. So in all that fear stuff, unless we put the word regularly in our minds and, and, and exercise in the word in excess of what other things we hear, the stronghold of fear will get in and we'll be overwhelmed. God has not given us a spirit of cowardice. That's what Paul told Timothy. If you're afraid, he said, that didn't come from God. He's given us a spirit of power. Power is the Greek word dunamis. We know that means miracle power. He's given us a spirit of miracle power, a spirit of love. The word love is agape. The word sound mind is a great word. The, the Greek word is, is sophronismos. Sophronismos. That word means discipline or self-control, but it's a compound word. It comes from two other Greek words, the word sozo and the word frain. We know sozo means to save or deliver, to make whole or make well. The word frame means the intelligence or the mind. So he's saying God has given us the spirit of a saved mind. A delivered mind. A rescued mind. God has given us a spirit of a rescued mind. Now that is good news to me. My mind is... If I, if I trust what God said and I begin to operate in the word, my mind is, has been rescued and saved. We're going to talk about that as we go here. When we were born again, we received, it has to be developed as we go, we received a saved mind. I love that. Hebrews 2.15 tells us that Jesus came to deliver us from a bondage of faith. Fear. It says it this way. It says that he, talking about Jesus, came to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We no longer have to be subject to the bondage of fear. Don't have to be. The choice is ours to make whether we want to live free or not. To not choose is to choose. Because you'll choose what you're listening to. You'll choose what you're hearing. All right? We can either submit to fear or we can stir up the gift that's inside of us. And we can overcome the fear. The gift of God. Man, I love it. It includes our saved mind. It's interesting to me that Sunday morning at church they began talking about, the, the, the series is called Mind Games, but you figured out pretty quick it's not a game. That's just a good, that's a good catchy title. That's where the fight is fought. 
The battle in the spirit begins in the mind. How you think. What you think. I mean, we must learn to make ourselves think promises. Think the word. When the Bible says to set our affection on things above, it literally says exercise the mind on things above. So so I'm, I'm getting ready to chase a rabbit here because I feel like the Lord told me that last night as I was thinking I was done with this outline, he told me to do something else with it. Last week, last time I read to you out of Matthew chapter 6, so I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 6 in verse 24. And let's, let's, these are some words that Jesus said. He said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And now he's telling you how not to do that. Right after that he says, Therefore, the word therefore, you guys see what, what therefore is therefore. It's therefore because he said you can't serve God in mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. He said you can't serve God and the world. You can't serve God and the, and the system of the world. You can't serve them both. Therefore... Don't think like them. He says, take no thought. Literally, if you look at this, that phrase up in the, in the Greek, it says, take no anxious thought. He says, don't take a worried thought. Don't take it. What does that mean? That means I don't have to take it. Don't have to. Yeah, but I, I'm just a worrier. I just, I can't help it. I'm a worrier. Number one, you just spoke wrong because you're not a worrier. You're a warrior, but not a worrier. Jesus, now Jesus knows what he's talking about. I don't believe he wasted a word that he spoke. He said, I don't have to take the thought. So what I got to learn to do then is not to take the thought. I mean, man, just read the news. You start taking those thoughts, you'll be a worrier. I mean, what happens if this person gets elected? What happens if they do this, if they do that? And you can begin to worry. Jesus said, take no anxious thought for your life. Then he said, behold the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, neither do they gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? He said, don't take the anxious thought. Look at the birds. Look at the birds. I go in my backyard and look at those fat white-winged doves that I have in my backyard. They are fat. I don't even know how they can fly. They are so fat. I mean, they, they just eat and eat and eat. And I look at them and I think... They're not worried. Guess what? If the bird eats, I eat. If God will feed a bird, he will feed me. He said, are you not much better than they? Sorry for the animal rights activists. God said that people are better than animals. Don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. That's what Jesus just said. He said, if they eat, you eat. Which of you by taking thought. Which of you, by taking an anxious thought, can add one cubit to his stature? Can you, by worrying, 
get one inch taller. I told him on Wednesday night last last week, uh, there's an episode of Andy Griffith where where Barney, y'all are all familiar with Andy Griffith, I'm sure. Barney was going to have to have to take this this test, and they found out that he was too short and didn't weigh enough. So they started feeding him all kinds of food. You know, Aunt B was feeding him all kinds of pies and stuff, so he could gain some weight. And then they tied this thing around his neck and around his shoulders, and they hung him on the door in the closet <laughs> because they were going to make him taller. Well, it didn't work, but still, it says. Can you, can you, by worrying, make yourself one inch taller? Will worry make it better? Will that change anything by worrying? Yeah, but if I don't worry, I mean, that means I don't love them. That's not true. The best thing you can do instead of worry is have faith. Instead of worrying about it, what if I have faith for it? What? How do I have? What? What is that? That means I believe what God said. In order to believe what God said, I got to know what God said. Worrying won't change it. Well, what will we do? What will we do if, if this happens? No, 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 no. Worry is not going to do it for you. Let me go on. Which of you? And it says, and why take thought for your raiment? Why worry about what you're going to wear? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and toil not. Neither do they spin. I mean, they don't even work for it. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is cast in the oven, and shall, not, shall he not much more clothe you? This next phrase is pretty powerful. O ye of little faith. He just gave us a big key here. Believing him is more important than worrying. Go look at the hillside. Look at the flowers. If they wear nice clothes, I get to wear nice clothes. That's I, I like that. He says, don't have, don't be thoughtless, don't be faithless. He says, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be, be clothed? Now this must be pretty important in half a chapter. Jesus tells us four times, take no anxious thought. Four times he says, don't worry. Four times he says, look at something different. Don't focus on the problem. Focus on the answer. Begin to focus on what you believe, not on what you can see with your eyes. He says, take no anxious thought. Look at something else. Well, yeah, yeah, but, but I, I don't know if I can do that. Yes, you can, because Jesus said you could. That's what I, I remember the first time I ever went snow skiing. I was coming down the mountain. I was terrible. I was cold. I mean, it was. I was. I think I was 17 years old, and and I was cold, and I didn't know how to ski. I'd fall, and I wore the wrong clothes. Water was. I mean, you know, I was wet. I was cold, and I fell down this one time. And this little kid skis up to me, sprays me, and I looked at me and says, "Are you okay?" And I said, "Get out of here." <laughs> Because I fully thought if I catch you at the bottom of this mountain, you're toast. <laughs> but, but when he skied away, I thought, you know what? If that little kid can do this, so can I. So I got up with a new determination. I thought, you know what? I can do that. If Jesus says I can do something, I can do it. Because he's not a liar. His word is true. You know, here, here's what we, we, we need to think through some things here. What am I thinking? We know that words are made up 
of letters and that's all they are. You look at the letters and that's all they are. But those letters, when they come together in words that I understand, they convey the thoughts that I think. I think in terms of these words. So just jumbled letters don't, don't mean anything. And hearing, hearing something in a language I don't understand doesn't mean anything to me. But when it's in my language and I understand it, it becomes very important. Here's what, here's what the Bible says. In, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. The words of God must be spiritually discerned. If I'm going to learn to think right, I've got to learn how to look at the Word of God and in my spirit discern it. I must be spiritually inclined. There's death in the thoughts of the enemy. There's life in the thoughts of God. But I get to choose what I yield to. Let me just say this. I've said this before, I think, in this group. My mind is my mind. The devil does not have the power to tell me how to think. My mind is my mind. I choose what I think. Your mind is your mind. Nobody can tell you you're going crazy unless you agree with them, then you can have it. Your mind is your mind. My mind is my mind. The world doesn't understand that. They think they have no control over what they think. Well, I, I, can't, I can't help what I think. Well, you, can, you can't help what flies over your head, but you can control what you take. The thoughts may come, but Jesus said, take no thought. Don't take the anxious thought. Don't take the worrisome thought. I have the ability to not take it. And I tell you, this requires discipline on our parts. This is the fight that we're talking about here. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. I'm going to start at verse 4. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. There are strongholds. How's a, str a stronghold is a castle, a fortified uh, a building of some sort. It's built brick by brick. And this next verse tells us how it's done. Here's how you can pull down, down that castle. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The Bible said that I can bring every thought into captivity. If there's a stronghold of fear built in my life, the only way I'm going to get rid of that stronghold of fear is one thought at a time, one brick at a time, dismantling it. It says we take these thoughts captives, captive with mighty weapons. You see, some people, they yield to these thoughts and they don't even know where they come from. It's like, it's like ministering to a couple one time and, 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 and she says, he just doesn't love me. And he says, I, I do love you. I love you. And you look at her and say, does, 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 he, does he tell you he doesn't love you? Oh, no, he tells me he loves me all the time. Does he act like he doesn't love you? No, he just does it so, I, so he'll think, yeah, I know he, so I'll think he loves me. But he doesn't love me. He just doesn't, he can't love me. I'm so unlovable. He can't love me. And he's like, I love you. I love you with everything I have. Well, here's the deal. She's listening to a thought rather than listening to the word of someone who loves her. 
Anytime we take thoughts that contradict the word of God, they become thoughts that are not from God, but from the devil. We need to learn how to take the thought of what he says. Listen, we don't have to take it. We don't have to take every single thought. We need to know who we are in Christ, and when the thought comes, we've got to learn how to stop it. Listen to this. The Bible says this is Mark chapter 5. Jesus is, is going with, 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 with Jairus to, to his house because his daughter's dying. It says, and the woman with the issue of blood stops him and she gets healed and all that stuff. And it says, Jesus said, your, 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 uh, um, your, 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 your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And it says, while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, thy daughter is dead. And why troublest thou the master any further? They're saying, you know, well, you're wasting your time bothering the, the preacher. Don't bother him anymore. As soon as Jairus heard that, as soon as Jesus heard that, what was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. He looks at the guy. They come and say, don't waste Jesus' time anymore. Jesus said, don't be afraid, keep believing. Don't be afraid, keep believing. I mean, that was important. Here's what I know about fear. Here's what I know about worry. It will cancel God's help. And it will open you up to the enemy. If you read that chapter, Jairus didn't say another word. Because Jesus said, Huh? Don't be afraid. Keep believing. See, Jesus didn't waste any word at all. This was important. The moment he got afraid, the moment he began to worry, he was going to cancel the miracle. I mean, it's like Jesus is like, no more words. Shut it up right now. Don't say that out loud. Don't take the thought. Don't take it. You see, the miracle was right there. Here's what the Bible tells us. In 2 Corinthians 2.16, it says, We have the mind of Christ. Now, people have used that pretty flippantly, but what does that even mean? It means we have the mind of the anointed. The anointed. We have the mind of the anointed. Christ means anointed. You know that, right? We have anointed minds. Jesus said, peace, I leave with you. I love this next phrase now. My peace I give unto you. What kind of peace is that? It's the very peace that Jesus had as he walked this earth. He said, that's what I'm giving to you. My peace. That's why he could stand in the boat and say to the wind and the waves, hush, be still. Look at those disciples and says, where is your faith? No fear. Perfect peace. He said, my peace. My peace is what I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Again, he gives me the choice. You don't let it fear. You don't let it be troubled. See, peace cancels the fear. I mean, we have his peace. So I can't let my heart get troubled. Think about these. Oh, man, I love this one. I'm going to tell, tell you right now. Here's what I buy Isaiah 20. 26 verse 3, the Lord said, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee 
because he trusteth in thee. We must stay our minds on him because we trust him more than the enemy's ability to harm us. Keep, it's hard to keep my mind on him. I know it is. But you've got to take your eyes off the wind and the waves. You've got to look at the one who gave you the promise. Jesus isn't going to take you on the lake to kill you. He's going to take you on the lake to get you to the other side. You've got to keep your eyes on the promise. It's interesting, this, this phrase, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. The, the words perfect peace in the, in the Hebrew language literally says shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom. Shalom, of course, is the Hebrew greeting, which means, <clears throat> are you okay? Is anything missing? Is anything broken? Are you complete? And then when they left, they would say, shalom. Go and don't let anything be missing. Don't let anything be broken in your life. Let everything be complete. The Lord says, I will keep him in complete completeness. I will keep him in absolute nothing missing, nothing broken in his life, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. If I trust him, if I trust him more than the storm, if I trust him more than the worry, then he will keep me in absolute perfect peace. And then he gives us in Isaiah 57 the secret to it all. Isaiah 57, 19, he said, I create the fruit of the lips. Shalom, shalom to him that is far off, to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. He said, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to keep you. I'm going to give you exactly what you say when what you say is shalom, shalom. Complete completeness. Looking at the storm and saying, peace, be still. I love Paul. He said, I know whom I believed, that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to fear. I mean, we need to understand that we, we have to say some things. See, here's all of our thoughts come from words. All of our words will direct our thoughts. We, we, we hear things or we read things. We read words. We hear words. Those produce thoughts. Thoughts produce actions. Actions produce habits. But we can redirect those thoughts with words. Here's what the Lord says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. It says, This book of the law, or this the word of God, will not depart out of your mouth, but you'll meditate it therein day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein, for then you'll have you'll make your way prosperous, then you have good success. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, You've got to make sure the word is in your mouth, meditating in it. Day and night. The word meditate means to utter, to mutter, to speak to yourself over and over again. Meditation is speaking God's word again and again. He said, he said, the first key here is having the word in your mouth and speaking it all the time, and then you'll be able to do what it says. Notice the word has to be in our mouth. We meditate by speaking. We overcome thoughts by speaking. We stay our minds by speaking. We bring every thought captive by speaking. And this is something a lot of people don't know. We don't want to say something we don't feel. We overcome it by speaking. Speaking not the circumstance, the Word of God. I can't just say quit thinking that. You've got to replace the thought with something else. So I've got to learn how to speak 
something. I've learned how to say something. I think I've done this before in this room, but some of you haven't, haven't been here when I've done it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to count to 25. And just when I say go, I want you to count to 25. To yourself, just in your mind, I want you to count to 25. Okay? Now, while you're counting to 25, I'm going to say to you, I'm going I'm to say something out loud. It's going to be a confession. And I want you to say that confession out loud while you keep counting to 25 in your mind. Okay? You ready? Okay? Ready? Set, go. Now say, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. Say it out loud. Wait, wait, wait. What happened to your counting? It stopped because the mind cannot keep thinking a thought when you're talking. When you, listen, when you're laying in your bed at night and you're worried about it, Get up and go talk. Not the problem. The Bible. What did God say about it? What did he say? I was having an anxious thought the other night. And so I got up and I said, I went into the bathroom in the closet back there. And I, I said out loud, I am highly favored. I have God's favor in my life. This anxious thought cannot take root in my heart because I'm favored. Now I can sleep. I had to change the thought. Sometimes you got to do that a hundred times a day. But the only way to overcome a thought is with a word. You've got to say it out loud. What time is it? Oh, good. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm almost there. Isaiah 55, verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. The Lord said that I can forsake my thoughts. I can forsake wicked thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. He'll have mercy on him for our God and, for, and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Now listen, then, this is then God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Let's put it in context here. He's saying, if you're thinking wicked thoughts, those aren't my thoughts. You can forsake those thoughts. You can forsake them. He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth out of my mouth. These are his thoughts. If we connect all that, that's his thought. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing wherein to I send it. It's his thought in my mouth when I speak it out loud. That's the word that's going to produce. That's what he wants to happen. That's what will produce. Man, as I said, we've got to teach people who just got saved that. Yes. So they quit calling themselves stupid. So they quit calling themselves no good. So they quit calling themselves a sinner. So they can begin to speak what God said. So it will produce in their lives. We need, I need to do that. They need to do that. The scripture says, casting all of your care upon him, for he careth for you. The first time it says the word casting, it means anxiety or worry. Casting your worry on him. The word casting is only used one other time in the New Testament. And it's when they cast their garments on Jesus' donkey. 
because the donkey was built to carry the garments. Its shoulders were broad enough. It was made to be a beast of burden. The scripture says that I'm to cast my worry, throw it on Jesus. He's the only one who can carry it. Only he can carry it. It says, for he careth for you. That means to have interest in me. Because he's interested in it. Cast it on him. How? With my words. Calling on him. Calling on his promise. I mean, this to me is the key to the fight right here. The scripture says this. Be careful for nothing. Philippians 4 verse 6. Literally it says, be anxious for nothing. So what can I be anxious about? Nothing. Nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Yeah, but I love them. I'm so worried for them. Nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That's a powerful statement. Not the worry, the thanks. The prayer, the sub- what, what, kind, what kind of thanks would you give? Thank you for the problem with up. No, no, that's not the thanks. Thank you for the answer. Thank you that you know the way. Thank you that you truly are uh, Yehovah Yira. You know the way. You already know. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. When I learn this, when I learn this, peace comes. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. He just told us what to do. Those things which you both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the peace and the God of peace will be with you. What we need to learn how to do is employ a bouncer for our minds. When, when that thought knocks on my door, I need to open the peephole and say, is there any truth in you? Is what that thought, is that thought true? No. Close the door. Don't let it in there. Say what's true. Say what's true. I mean, if, if, if it's honest, if it's a lying thought, nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. You don't even know everybody. You don't know if everybody hates you. That's not honest. That's not an honest thought. Shut the door on it. I mean, if it's pure, if it's lovely. I mean, there's so many thoughts that come that are not lovely. And they cause anxiety in us. We need to learn how to not fret. The only way we do that is with words. We, I tell you, the enemy of fear, which is a worry is fear, that is a terrible thing because it brings torment. And when you're thinking thoughts, you can be concerned about things and, and you can and you know you need to be aware of things and concerned with them, but the moment torment comes, the moment anxiety comes, you've got to say something to it. Don't take it. You can't take every thought. Amen? Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you that your word is absolutely true. Jesus, you said I don't have to take the thought. Lord, your word says for me to be anxious about nothing. Lord, I choose tonight to not take the thought in Jesus' name. Amen.